This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Dedman with a rebound. Dedman giving Miami great energy down the floor. Leaking out. Hero shot. Blocked by Patrick Williams. What a rejection by Patrick. And Dosubu leaves it in. Down low right on a drive to the rim on the end line. Set up by Patrick Williams. The claw. The claw. Chuck Swirsky right there. On the play-by-play all night last night for a, a Chicago Bulls loss. Final score on the score was 127 to 109. Welcome back in. On Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score, I am Mark Grody here with you till noon. We're going to talk Bulls with Ricky O'Donnell, editor and writer of SB Nation here in just a second. But first tell you that the Bulls, with their loss, are now in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. Just a half game behind Toronto, against whom the Bulls do hold tiebreaker. Cleveland hot on the Bulls' feet still. They are seven back. So two back of the Bulls. The Bulls do own the tiebreaker against the Cavaliers as well. The the Bulls host Milwaukee on Tuesday, Boston on Wednesday at the United Center. Charlotte is here on Friday, and then at Minnesota a week from today to end the regular season. So that's what's up with the Bulls as we bring in Ricky O'Donnell, editor and writer at SB Nation. Ricky? Was that just another bad loss for the Bulls last night, or is Miami just that much better? Yeah, I think it's typical of what we've seen from the Bulls all season. They struggle to compete against the best teams in the league. Uh, It seems like the top teams are just sort of able to pick out their weakest defenders and take advantage of them. We saw it last night with Jimmy Butler targeting Kobe White. Uh, Kobe couldn't give him anything on the other end either, so that was a very tough matchup for the Bulls. And it's been the same story all year, I think, uh, You know, Miami's game plan and their talent just really outshine the Bulls in that matchup. And uh, when DeMar DeRozan isn't going off for, you know, 35 to 50, the Bulls are going to be in big-time trouble against some of the top teams in the league. Man, and I guess, Ricky, we could even say that against some of the less-than-good teams in the league when it came to DeMar DeRozan. The Bulls were at their best when, and this is like, duh, but the Bulls were at their best when DeMar DeRozan was doing ridiculous things scoring-wise, even before the All-Star break when they won four or five in a row and 
get into that thing, and they weren't beating great teams, but DeMar DeRozan was the star. And, you know, as much as we try to dig into every little part of what has gone wrong with the Bulls, one of the things is there there was no way DeMar DeRozan was going to continue to play at the peak of those powers, right? Yeah, his numbers fell off way off in March from where they were in February. In February, he was averaging 34 a game on like 65% true shooting, which is ridiculous in March. Uh, both those numbers dropped about 10 points per game, even with the 50-point game to end the month against the Clippers. So it was always unrealistic to expect DeMar to perform like basically 1997 Michael Jordan for the entire season. But the reason his play did fall off a bit in March is because teams started trapping him every time he brought the ball up and got a ball screen. Uh, the Bulls still haven't really found a way to beat the traps that DeRozan is facing. I thought that getting Alex Caruso and some of his ball movement and shooting back would help them, but uh, he hasn't looked 100% like himself since re-entering the lineup. The rest of the team either looks hesitant to shoot or just has been totally off in their three-point shots after the All-Star break. Uh, so when you have basically a league last three-point rate and one of your best shooters in Lonzo and one of your best passers in Lonzo continues to be out, you, know, you just wonder how are the Bulls going to beat these traps in the playoffs when teams are sending two to the ball on DeMar because when DeMar gets single covered, we've seen all year, he has so many tricks in the bag to either get to the foul line or to score from mid-range or get to the rim. But when teams are throwing two at him, he has to move mm-hmm. the ball. He's been doing it, but the Bulls haven't been able to succeed in those four-on-three breaks in the half court. So that's the biggest problem facing the Bulls is what do they do when DeMar can't just single-handedly save them? And unfortunately, the book is out. Teams know, trap DeMar, throw two at him, Bulls can't beat you. They still haven't proven they can do it, and they've been facing this problem for over a month now. So uh, the Bulls are going to have to figure out a quick fix entering the postseason. Otherwise, it might be a short stay. Yeah, to your point, last night, the Bulls were 9 of 34 from three. That's 26.5%. They are 34% the Bulls in their last 19 games from three, 27th in the NBA. And in this NBA, that is absolutely destructive. As for the the postseason, Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, if the postseason were to start today, it is my understanding that the Bulls would play the Boston Celtics. And I can't say that I look at any matchup with the Bulls right now and say, yeah, I feel really comfortable with that just because of the insecurities the Bulls have given us all. But what if it comes down to Bulls and Celtics, and this could be changing, what do you like or not like about a potential Bulls-Celtics playoff series? Yeah, the standings are still really jumbled up. It could be the Celtics. It could be the Sixers. And, you know, the entire fan base can debate as of who the Bulls have the best chance against. The reality is they're going to be the underdog in any series they face. With Boston, it's interesting because Boston just lost a big part of their success in Robert Williams, their young big man who had really taken them up to the next level. Now, they're still a very good team without him. They remind me quite a bit of the Bulls, actually, because they have two terrific half-court scorers in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They have two really good defenders on the perimeter in Marcus Smart and Derek White. And then you have Al Horford sort of in the boot role. But the Celtics have been healthier than the Bulls for the majority of the season until this Robert Williams injury. And they've really been playing incredible ball over the last three months. They're playing like the best team in the league, led by the league's number one defense. So 
The question is, will the Bulls be able to score at all against Boston? Because nobody has been able to score against Boston uh, since basically January. And then how can the Bulls sort of limit Tatum and Brown in the half court? I don't love the matchups for the Bulls in terms of uh, how they're supposed to stop the Celtics attack. But the big wild card out there is Lonzo Ball. Is Lonzo going to be able to return? If he can return, I think that that would help the Bulls immensely uh, in any matchup, but particularly mm-hmm. against Boston, just giving him another versatile defender. And, oh, yeah, Lonzo can also solve the Bulls' three-point issue. He can also solve the Bulls' transition issue, where they haven't been able to really get in the open floor since he's been out. While Lonzo's not a star, he did paper over a lot of the Bulls' weaknesses when he was on the floor, so... Getting him back, I think, is uh, the biggest thing for them. And then, you know, you could talk about Zach Levine's injury, too. Levine was actually pretty good in March, but his health does seem very game-to-game to me. Like, there's games where he's just not attacking the rim and looks like he's just settling for tough jump shots. When he actually is driving to the basket, the Bulls' uh, offense is just so much more dynamic. So, hopefully, with the plan ahead of the playoffs, Levine will get a little bit of rest. I'm also hoping maybe the Bulls can rest in the last couple games of the regular season if their seed is already secure. So uh, it's going to be a tough battle no matter who they face. And Boston's been awesome the whole year. That's not really a, a problem anyone's been able to solve. All very well said. And you got me thinking about the, the Lonzo Ball factor. And as you said, you know, putting paper over some of these problems that the Bulls have had in another area, too. I think you mentioned it in there with all the things that Ball does well. Defense as well. Last night, Ricky, the, the well, I should start with the Heat this year have averaged 109 points per game. The Miami Heat last night, 127 to 109. Was that just a hot team because they were ridiculously hot, or are you still seeing like some real defensive breakdowns for the Bulls? Yeah, the Bulls just don't have a lot of great defensive personnel right now, you know? And at the end of the day, NBA teams are built around their stars. The Bulls' stars are Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Nikola Vucevic. If you would have asked anyone who knows the game coming into this season how those guys are defensively, they would have said, well, they're all clearly below-average defenders. So Arturis Karnaschovas' sort of trick to fix that was putting two elite defenders next to them in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. And that is really such a cheat code in the current NBA to just have two lockdown perimeter defenders who can switch, who can guard multiple assignments. When Caruso's at his best, it honestly seems like he guards half the floor at the same time. He's just everywhere. Uh, But it's tough with only one of those guys available. So I think last night, it was, it was multiple things. First of all, the Bulls just don't match up well with Miami without ball in the lineup. And then it seems like whenever the Bulls play the Heat, the Heat always get an outlier shooting performance from someone on their bench. Gabe Vincent has absolutely killed the Bulls this year. Last night, three of four from three. That might have been his worst performance of the season against the Bulls. He's just been that good against them. And then Tyler Hero, six of seven. Oh, my God. And, uh, he did not make a two-point field goal. In that I game know. Six of 16 from the field, but six of seven from three. And, hey, Tyler Hero's really good. It's like that's sort of what the Bulls need Kobe White to give them, right? It's like your 6'4", 6'5", guard off the bench who has a little dribble drive ability and can get hot from three. Well, you know, Tyler Hero's better than Kobe White at this point, of course. So I think that the matchups just don't favor the Bulls against Miami, and Eric Spolster's the best coach in the league. Like you saw last night the way Mm. he was sort of able to pick out the Bulls' weakest defenders – uh, Jimmy Butler had a heck of a game. He was the best player on the floor last night without question. So 
You know, it's been the same story all year. The Bulls are getting trucked by the best teams in the league, and until they prove that they can compete with them, I don't expect it to change. Yeah, and about where we thought the Bulls would be, but it's still wholly disappointing that that they haven't even really made progress against these good team. I mean, the, the the exact numbers say they haven't made progress. 0 for 17 against the top three teams in, in both conferences. And now the Bulls in sixth place with just four games to go on the season. I love that you brought up the, the Tyler Hero 19 points last night because that is something. I mean, that that is the NBA right there in 2022. Six of seven from three, as you pointed out. 0 for 9 from 2, and for my money, watching Tyler Hero, that just shows you how dominant the three-pointer is, watching Tyler Hero, I'm like, that dude is killing the Bulls with these, like, a couple of real dagger-like threes last night from Tyler Hero that were either, I don't know, you know, traditional daggers, no, I don't think so, but just games that made you think, if you had any thoughts of getting back into this game, here's Tyler Hero. Here's Tyler Hero once again. There'll be no funny stuff, because Tyler Hero is here today and that's that is the way it felt and then Kobe White on the other side bringing it full circle you know they were pointing out on the TV broadcast last night that hey you know maybe Kobe needs to take a two here and there maybe drive to the basket a little bit you know he doesn't have to come out and shoot the threes but Tyler Hero certainly not setting a great example in <laughs> that way you do have to make those threes yeah, I mean, Tyler Hero is probably going to be sixth man of the year in the NBA, so he's really good. He's been doing that to teams all year. I sort of disagree that Kobe needs to take more twos because the Bulls need someone to take threes. I got the stats yeah. right now from cleaning the glass. Yeah. The Bulls are uh-huh. dead last in the league in three-point rate. This is percentage of shots, percentage of field goals that come from three-point range. They take 30.6% of their shots from three-point range, dead last. Utah they're at the high end. They take 44% of their shots from three. So the Bulls need to get open looks from three. Last night, Kobe and Io combined to go one for 11. It's certainly not like all Kobe's fault or not all Kobe and Io's fault. The team has, you know, multiple issues that are dragging them down, but they need shooting. And the problem is that they can't even get up threes right now, let alone make threes. You think about the guys who should be able to hit threes. It's Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, who's of course been out and Kobe and those guys have just been a little bit cold in the second half. So uh, that's basically the math problem, staring the Bulls in the face. It's like, how do you beat these good teams yeah. when you're, you can't even get up threes, let alone make threes? Now, the Bulls have been a very mid-range heavy team all year. Of course, the, the new math in the NBA will tell you that's a bad shot. The Bulls take the second most shots in the NBA from mid-range this year. 37% of their field goal attempts come from mid-range. Well, number one is the Phoenix Suns. We know the Suns hmm. are the best team in the league. With mm-hmm. Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they picked everyone apart in the mid-range last year. So I actually think a mid-range heavy attack is pretty conducive for playoff success because those are the shots that teams want to give up. We know the Bulls are really good in that area, but here's the thing. It's tough for DeMar to get them off when he's facing traps and double teams the entire time. So the way to beat hmm. the trap is to kick it out to Vooch, have Vooch swing it to the shooters, and have the shooters either hit a three or put pressure on the rim. And the Bulls just haven't been able to crack that code. It's like the trap should be an advantage for the Bulls, right? The best thing you can do on offense, if you can't score, the best thing you can do is draw two to the ball. And DeMar has been consistently drawing two to the ball because his level of play has been so high all year. But the Bulls can't do anything with it. They got a four-on-three break in the half court, you know, so many times. And 
they're, they just can't beat it because of their lack of shooting, uh, because, you know, we've seen so many record scratch moments from, from Io. He seems like he's been even scared to shoot. Kobe's been off. And then you got Patrick Williams, who has been playing better lately. He's been a nice injection of just energy on the team. And quietly, he's shooting 47% from three. It's on very low volume, so it's tough to put a ton of stock into that. Got to get Patrick Williams shooting the ball, and you hope that as you know the Bulls start to ramp him up over 30 minutes in each of the last two games, that he can provide a little bit of like two-way activity for you and a mm-hmm. bit of outside shooting because uh, you know just thinking about how the Bulls can translate to the playoffs. If you can actually get something from Pat after him being out for the last five months, that would be a big boost to their chances. Yeah, yeah, and it, like we're talking about the issues of the Bulls struggling against good teams all of which in blueprint are going to you'll see in the playoffs will all be good teams i mean how that sounds like a struggle a seven game series that the bulls you know to even get past the first round but but we shall see still four games to go my last question for you ricky o'donnell is who is the most dangerous team in the eastern conference because we talk so much about how close it is and how competitive it is and we know who the the stars are in the east and we talk about it but who do you think's the most dangerous team in the eastern conference definitely the bucks i mean they got the best player in the world Giannis is just playing at such a ridiculous level that step back three he hit to beat brooklyn a couple nights ago it's like oh my gosh Giannis could <laughs> not do that at all a couple <laughs> years ago and then you remember last season, Giannis, you know, one of the great all-time finals performances, 50 points in the championship clinching game. In that game, he was money from the foul line, and it kind of seemed like a fluke because Giannis was such a bad free throw shooter. This year, Giannis is like a 73 74% free throw shooter off the top of my head. He's really improved in that area. So if Giannis is making free throws, he's already the best defensive player in the league. He's already has the highest motor in the league. Like, the guy plays pedal to the metal at all times. And then offensively, you just can't stop him. He scores 30 points every game, and now you can't foul him to get you know easy stops because he's making his free throws. So I think we're on a collision course for a rematch of a very good final series last year, which did not get enough attention between the Bucks and the Suns. The Suns have been playing at a ridiculously high level all year. They've won 80% of their games. And now here comes Milwaukee. They're starting to get it together at the right time. Drew Holiday, I just have so much respect for. He's basically like if Alex Caruso could put up 25 a night on his best nights. He's incredible. Middleton's been a little worse this year than last year, but we saw how good he was at tough shot making on the biggest stage last season in the playoffs. So I think Milwaukee's running the East. I don't really think anyone else is coming close, especially with this Robert Williams injury for Boston Uh, I think that sort of knocks them out of the championship tier, just my opinion. We'll see. But, uh, you know, whoever the Bulls draw in the first round is going to be a tough matchup, but I expect Milwaukee to come out of the conference once again. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree, and I I do think that uh, Giannis, yeah, he does. It's so close, man, with some of these guys, with Durant, and even still LeBron, like who's the best pound-for-pound player in the NBA, and maybe it is time just to not think about it and say Giannis Antetokounmpo is that guy. Ricky, always a pleasure to hear your Bulls thoughts, and I definitely look forward to hopefully talking to you in the postseason or after the season, whatever the case may be. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. That is Ricky O'Donnell.
editor and writer at SB Nation. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score still to come in this hour, about 1040 or so. We're going to New Orleans. We're going to the Final Four to bring in Andy Garcia of Westwood One, a former score guy, made good doing good things for Westwood one and he is in New Orleans so we get to talk to him about the team that I picked to go all the way that is North Carolina and why why did I not put a few shekels down on North Carolina let's really get into Mark Rody when we have Andy Garcia on but we will also talk about the Bears and Justin Fields as a matter of fact I think I want to do that next talking about Justin Fields and what he needs to get better at and, oh, we get to do some some criticism of the previous regime, apparently, as well, coming up on the Bears here and Justin Fields on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. The development of him for the second year should be a big jump. It should be. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for, you know, better technique, better fundamentals, better decision-making, better timing, everything. And, he, and he's, he's, he's all on board on that. He's excited about where he is, and he's been working his tail off. Um, and we're, and that's what we want, just that big jump from year one to year two. It's a little bit of expectation being put towards Justin Fields' way, but still not a lot of actual evaluation from the Chicago Bears on, on Justin Fields. That's That's been the... The preseason so far since the new regime got here and that was again the head coach Matt Eberflus on Mark Rohde on Chicago's 670 the score and and that's fine I mean I guess my reporter sensibilities get irritated because I want to know now I want to know what you think and that answer really has not been revealed yet because clearly they want to get them on the field and see what they've got they are not just blindly going into it saying or thinking that Justin Fields is or isn't the future. And you could see how that's frustrating when I say things like, well, he could be, or maybe he's not. And that's not what we do around here. So it does drive me a little batty, I tell you, even if it is something that is actually acceptable, that they want to actually evaluate the player. But Justin Fields has to do some evaluating of his own about his game. And one of the people that has been instrumental and helpful in Justin Fields' development as a player and maybe even as a person, I don't know. Usually coaches are when you get close. But Ron Veal has always been Justin Fields' personal coach. He's been with him at every stop in his football career, still works with Ron Veal, does Justin Fields, a lot. They are tight. He's his coach. He's his tutor. He's his, you know... You know, gets private lessons from Ron Veal, just like I used to playing the clarinet back in the day. Private lessons, half an hour at a time, extra credit, boom, done. But Bears. And Ron Veal was talking about, let's take you to last year. We'll do one more, like, last year thing on my watch anyway. And Matt Nagy and the previous regime, because we've just talked so much about it. And we all know the story. But the Matt Nagy story and the last year's story with Justin Fields and everything. But last year there was a, in, in sports terminology, there was a tragedy in Cleveland bears at Cleveland Sunday, September 26th, 
there's Justin Fields getting clobbered. Like, not just getting sacked nine times, but, like, hit hard. Like, these were not coverage sacks. These were not touch sacks. These were hit you on, the, on your bottom sacks. And it was just, it was an awful, awful game plan, an awful showing. And Ron Veal will tell you what he thought of it and, and in turn tell you a little bit more of the realness of what Justin Fields thought about all that. Yeah, it was it was bad. I was supposed to be at that game because that's his first start. But the way the way the airlines worked at that time, I didn't make it. I'm kind of glad I did because he took a beating that day. Um, but yeah, it was kind of it was kind of crazy and weird at the same time. Why would you leave those two two guys on with no help? Did you ever get an explanation? No, I didn't. Um, I know he was a little pissed about it, but I didn't get an explanation, and I really didn't ask because I know he was in a situation where he was really pissed off about it. So he was pissed. And while I don't know that we ever heard that out of Justin Fields' mouth, it, you know, it's a little bit uh, newsy. And we kind of knew that that was the case. Of course. Of course. Of course. And he didn't say it publicly. And I know from talking to Sam Mustafer, you know, a couple of days after that, Sam told me, he said, yeah, I told Justin Fields, I bet your parents are pissed at us, <laughs> referring to the offensive line. So so it, that was horrible, and it's a great example of the side of the Bears did not put Justin Fields oftentimes in a great position to win. They didn't crack the code. And I'm not saying that you should be able to figure out a guy right away, a rookie especially, but it seems like they failed miserably a few times to put him in a spot. Like, a game like that, the Cleveland game, that might have set him back within the year. Who knows? Who knows how that affected the, the rest of his season and what his trust level was with that coaching staff. Like, you get hit like that, that kind of a game plan, are you coming back on Monday and saying, I, I believe in you guys as a coaching staff? You're, you're, no. You're going to be like, hmm. I think I might do things my way or I'm a little bit messed up in the head now. I mean, really think about that. Go back to that and think about the next day for Justin Fields after that game at Cleveland that, and he, he endures that. And that's just a, that's an extraordinary day for the Cleveland defense. Extraordinary. I mean, this wasn't a four or five sack day. This is knock you to the ground nine times. And how does Justin Fields the next day come? And this is what? Again, September, these are the September games. That's the third game of the season. How does Matt, how does Justin Fields walk into the coaches' room with his offensive coaches and say, Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I understand. I need to do this and that and that and that, and then that won't happen. But, but you didn't do this for me. So that had to have. Like, if you really want to go back and read into last season, and it's like, you think it's like the E, of course. Yeah, you got to look at that game, but look beyond it and how it might have affected his opinions, Justin Fields, throughout the rest of the year. That is that is possible. Like, what what is he thinking about this staff and this season and, and himself the rest of the year? That had to have informed a whole lot about how he 
was going to comport himself. Well, we know how he comported himself, and that was as a professional. But inside, what's he the the, the what's he really thinking? The Ron Veal portion of it. What is he really thinking? So so there is that. I wanted to bring that up, but I thought the actual more important stuff was that Justin Fields, even though he just showed you how it, it his season could have been informed by some bad coaching it is still true that you can look at Justin Fields and see a lot of things that he still needs to do better yeah I mean and we don't know if he's going to be good we know that he did some really special things and had some moments where you're like that's yeah that's okay that's special but I've seen a lot of Bears quarterbacks make special throws, and whether it was some preseason throws or some in-season throws or the Pittsburgh game where they had the the, the drive in the last minute, only to be foiled by that darn Beth, Ben Roethlisberger, there there have been some of those moments this year for sure for Justin Fields. But for the most part, it was a very trying year. So that said, I was more interested in hearing what Ron Veal was admitting that Justin Fields and he were working on and needed to work on. He was home for like two months. So we did maybe 15, 16 sessions together, individual sessions. And um, just working on a few things because, you know, they got a new offensive coordinator and a new coach. So we're just trying to implement some of the things that they will be going over here in the next couple of weeks. You know, just drops and, and making sure his time is good. We're trying to speed up his drop his drops a little bit more, trying to speed up his delivery a little bit more so he can throw the ball on time instead of waiting, waiting on the get out of break, a little bit more anticipation. So those are the things we focus on. It, it, is, it, is it new stuff based on new coordinator that he's got to work on, or do you also then, Ron, have an opportunity to work on stuff that, that you watched last year, that he experienced last year, and try to improve that stuff too? Well, both of those um, really worked on, like, his ball security and his drop and his, his ball carriage and his drops, trying to get him a little bit more secure, um, along with some of the new stuff that they will be doing under the new coordinator. So, yeah, it was a combination of both. It's interesting on the ball security and his ball carriage, how you put it. Yeah, because there, there were fumbles, and a lot of those were due to the crazy pressure that was in his face a lot, but you feel like there is, there's some stuff that he could learn there. Tell us about ball carriage. That's interesting. Yeah, we're just trying to get it more secure and a little bit closer to his body. And if he does feel pressure or have pressure, you know, a sack is not a bad thing. You can always punt. But a turnover gives the offense on the opposing team another series of, to get plays under their belt, and who knows what happens from there. But really trying to get it a little bit a little bit closer to his body, um, a little tighter where it's not so loose and um, be in a position to get to his – He'd have his pre-pass a little bit quicker, you know. We talked about more just taking a check down to a name there. Um, he would always say, sometimes I'm doing way too much, and he understands that from watching film. It's like there are situations where I could have taken a check down, and if the sack takes place, it takes place. But as long as we don't turn the ball over and give them extra downs to participate in the game, we're, we're, we're okay with that, in my opinion. Now, his coaching staff might say something different for us, like, you know, sacks are not okay. Get to try to get the ball out or try to get rid of the ball and avoid the sack. But I think the check downs, if he go through his progressions the right way, get to the check down, a lot of that stuff 
will take care of itself worth of facts and everything else. Man, that is some real stuff right there. And the the part that he was talking about, Ron Veal, Justin Fields' coach, talking about essentially presence of mind at the end there, which he struggled with, Justin Fields did, in terms of feeling the the pressure, holding on to the football. You know, when you when you see that guy, when you everybody, it's like a horror film sometimes when we're all seeing the the pressure cut over there, over there, over there, and then you see that hand starting to go for the football. You see Justin Fields' arms start to go back, and then he hits the wrist and the ball. Pop, like we all see it. It's like no, and that happened a fair amount with Justin Fields. But that is like when you look at the things that are fixable and not fixable, that seem like it would be a pretty easy fix, right? To recognize pressure and communicate better and and, co- and that's coaching too. They have to figure out the best way for him to know, learn and feel that pressure coming from his blind side and if and maybe that's better communication too and understanding defenses, you know? Like he's still he's new around here Justin Fields. He's still learning NFL defenses no matter how good those defenses might have been in the competition he played against ohio state he's still learning defense at the nfl level so i thought that that was really the more interesting stuff i mean we always like a little bit of dirt from the previous year but i thought that that was more interesting i mean just i mean i just gave you one of the examples there but talking about not not overdoing the the idea of you know running or taking a sack more anticipation on timing, you know, when a receiver is breaking in his route or the best time to throw, drops and delivery, speeding up the motion. Like, that's all stuff that we saw, and, yeah, that could get better. So there's still a lot, a lot of potential for Justin Fields, but it's good to see that they, they kind of saw the same things that we did, and you iron those out, and who knows, maybe Justin Fields, as, as they said, as Matt Eberflus was saying when we started this segment, maybe this is where it, it all, the, the jump from year one to year two, that we see something real like that. But those things that were, those aren't just like cliche things. That, that was not, that was pretty specific. So those are things that if he can work on and get better at, Justin Fields can be a successful quarterback coming up here in moments we're going to the final four that's where andy garcia is for westwood one we'll talk about north carolina and kansas and mike shashevsky and all things final four coming up next i'm mark grody this is chicago sports radio 670 the score (laughs) sunday morning on chicago sports radio 670 the score I am Mark Grody. Get to be with you until noon today. Got Matt Spiegel coming up from Arizona. He's been doing Cubs play-by-play. He got to call a walk-off yesterday, man. So I'm pumped up to talk to Matt Spiegel about doing play-by-play. And we'll talk about the Cubs and Sox with him because he knows his baseball. So Spiegel's coming up at 11 o'clock here on The Score. I should also tell you, I'm sure Spiegel would be very interested in this bit of news today that the San Diego Padres have a deal to acquire lefty starter. Ready for the Sox fans? Sean Manaya from the Oakland A's. That's according to MLB.com. The teams have not confirmed 
So there are other players, minor leaguers involved in this trade as well. But the bottom line is the Oakland A's trading, reportedly trading Sean Manaya to the San Diego Padres. So that well, White Sox dream has been had been quelled, I thought, but now it has been stomped upon. So there you go. Um, it is time now to talk about the NCAA tournament, the Final Four. It was going on in New Orleans yesterday. North Carolina beat Duke 81 to 77. It was Kansas over Villanova. 81 to 65 and our next guest Andy Garcia from Westwood one was there in New Orleans for the final four and Andy Garcia just a little bit of a history lesson in case it's getting away from you a little bit Andy Garcia used to work at Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score and I occasionally randomly will run into Andy Garcia. I guess it's not really random. I will run into him on the sidelines of primetime games at Soldier Field, and it always makes me smile. Andy Garcia, did you know that you make me smile when I see you? I think you make me smile more, Brody, because I get to see you. <laughs> I used to see you a little bit more. Now, you know, I see you some primetime games when I'm in town for the Bears, but no, it's always great to see you, and um, I'm glad to come on. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. Tell us about the experience of the Final Four. Was the, the Dome rocking? And I, I guess my speci- more specific question, I guess the reason I'm asking you about atmosphere is because of the heavyweights that are involved with you know Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Kansas. I don't need to sing their plaudits. Everybody knows. So... Does that make, and I know you've covered these in the past, does that make for a bigger vibe, the bigger teams, or is the Final Four just always at its own special level? No, I think the Final Four, as you said, is at its own special level at some points, but when you get four blue bloods like you have here in New Orleans, it makes it even more. It makes it, takes it to another level. And I'll say this too, Grody, when you go to a city where, when we haven't had fans, you didn't have a tournament in 2020. 2021, we were in the bubble in Indianapolis, small fans. So everyone is back at it. So you have fans, and then you put the French Quarter, Bourbon Street, (laughs) and New Orleans into it. Then it's supercharged. So everyone's great to get out of their houses. You've got big fan bases. So it makes it for an exciting, exciting Final Four. So, yes, the Final Four is always fun. But when you get guys like this and coaches and players that everyone knows in college basketball, it did go to another level last night. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of felt that. And, you know, the Kansas-Villanova game was not great just because it never felt like Kansas was in that much trouble. They did beat Villanova 81-65. to And maybe we can talk more about that. But I am, I am very interested, or just much more interested, in hearing about North Carolina Duke and what that game, because it, it had every, everything built into it. With Krzyzewski leaving after this game, it's North Carolina Duke. It's it's for to to get to the national title game. I mean, this game you just come on and you know the script, the pregame script, and you know everything about it. And then it was a terrific game as well with all of the lead changes. Give us an idea of what that game felt like during, you know, before, during, and and even after with the with the ending of Shashevsky. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an undercard, right? You have Kansas-Villanova. You got that first game, and Villanova was a little undermanned. Moore was out. He got hurt in the last game for Villanova. Big-time player. Wildcats just didn't have enough 
uh, for Kansas, who to me looks like the best of the four teams here. So you have that. There's a vibe in the air, but then as soon as that horn sounds, because Kansas got that one pretty easily at the end, just the energy, the vibe, like you could just tell there's a little bit more tension in the air, like North Carolina Duke, two teams that have taken on each other more than 250 times in their series, but the first time in the tournament, and it happens here in the final four, and, I, and me and uh, I was with Andy Katz. Andy Katz is our courtside reporter, so I walk around with him. We go in the, the stands, try to get some guests, and then we also get to talk to the coaches. So it was just that vibe. You could just tell everyone was waiting to see Coach K for the first time to come out, all the cameras, all the hoopla come out. And then you had, Mark, that it was a great game, lead changes, yeah. uh, going back and forth. Two teams you know just hate each other, but there's big-time names too, though. you got the Bancaros and the Davises and the, the Mannix from North Carolina and, and Duke. They're just big names. So you go back and forth, and you know there's that little tension like – this could be Coach K's last game, right? Like, he could be done after this, and it could be the team that beat him in his last home game at Cameron Indoor. Like, how about salt to the wound that you've got your rival who beat you in your last home game and then could knock you out in the final four and coming down in the final seconds when North Carolina won, they took it out. We were on the court. We were getting our first guest, and everyone from North Carolina, Mark, was jumping up and down. You thought they won the <laughs> national championship. And even the <laughs> yeah. Kansas, sometimes, Mark, in these games, when Kansas or Villanova, the two teams before the game, before this big game, sometimes those fans leave, right? They've seen their team, especially like Villanova. They don't want to sit there. Everyone, no one left, Mark. Everyone was still, everyone stood up for the whole game. It was great. It was a great atmosphere. So at the end of the game, we got our winning guest, you know, Andy Katz and I are on the court. Andy interviews him. So after that, we have to go get losing coach. That's one of my responsibilities. We get the tape. I run it up so we can play it. So I'm back there, and I'm with – Coach K, in the room, about four of us, interviewing him wow. with his last interviews. It's one of those oh, things wow. I get the chance. I, I got to do it, Mark, with Tom Brady uh, when he used to be in the Super Bowls, with Jim Gray. I used to do it with him when he was winning or losing. So I was there with Coach K, and just to hear him, and I saw his wife who was just in front of me, Just it's tough. You just know you're not going to have that feeling again to be in front of the press after that night or whatever he wants to do. And to be there, that's just a moment I'll take because – He's a legend, Mark. He's a legend. He's yeah. done it forever. And I'm there hearing his last words for us, Westwood One, about this is it. You know, I'm going to miss the kids. Um, they fought hard. Uh, so that was a special moment. But there was special electric electricity in the air because North Carolina Duke, first time in the tournament, and it could be Coach K's last game. It was a fantastic moment. I always say, you know, Mark, we talk all the time, like sports is the best soap opera. You never know what's going to happen. I don't care. You can script yeah. as much as you want. You never know until you get there. And What a vibe. And I do think New Orleans makes it. You know, you're in the Superdome. This thing's so loud. And you get fans that are just screaming and yelling. But, uh, yeah, it, it was fun. It was an electric moment. It was really interesting being able to be back there behind, behind the closed doors after TV got them. We're right there. We're interviewing yeah. them. I'm, I'm two feet away from Coach K hearing what <laughs> he said. Cool, it's pretty man. interesting. It's fun. It's a great moment. Yeah, that is that is great, man. That is very cool. And I, I'm thinking about what you're saying about how it's you know it's reality TV, sports at its finest. It just so happened that they gave us a pretty good script for that game, the North Carolina Duke game, from the beginning until the end. The script, like, pick your you know choose your own adventure. If you don't like the Coach K stuff, you know come for the come for the rivalry, just the the two teams, and come for the two guys that don't like each other. Whatever, I, I doesn't matter. Yeah. There's a th- there's a thou like this would have won Best Picture if it was the Academy. Academy Awards. 
And Mark, there's all the alums. I mean, it's the who's who from the Kansases and the Dukes and the yeah. Villanova. Chris Jenkins, yes. the interview in the first half with Villanova, the guy who made the last second shot to win it in 2018. He's back. So everyone for Duke, and it just meant we interviewed Bobby Hurley last night. So it was a who's who. And again, it just makes it when you're in the dome like that more exciting and uh, it'll it'll be fun it'll be a good championship game tomorrow night with uh, kansas and in north carolina and all the all the cinderellas you can have like the saint peters and everyone else that that gets far you get down to these final four teams and it's the blue bloods and to me i like it i think it's a fun final four you know you're gonna have some talent there's no flukes here these are two teams or four teams that deserve to be here they've got the talent and uh yeah but don't i mean don't worry mark I'm, I'm, i'm 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 having some fun you know after the games last night there wasn't a lot of food around the hotel. We walked down the Bourbon Street. I can tell you there was just a couple <laughs> Villanova and Duke fans crying in their hurricane drinks last night. I can tell you, Mark, it was, it was, you know, it was a little somber for those teams, but you can also tell who won walking Bourbon Street last oh, night. Oh, I bet. Yeah, you can. Hey, we, we know how the drink works. I mean, drink is celebratory and, and drink is dejection and depression. So Correct. it's just how, it's just how you channel it. Sometimes there's a darker drink you might have. If you're if you're singing the blues, you know, it's not it's not the high life. You know, you're not having, you know, MGD is a good times drunk, you know, like if if you if if you got like, hey, we got a case of beer. We're having fun. But if you see big bottles bulging out of their pockets, like that's the we're upset. Listen, if you have to cry and lose, you might as well lose in the French Quarter with a pull boy and some drinks in your head at 130 in the morning. I mean, what's a better way to go out? Mark? Come on. Oh, you are you are hilarious, man. This has been great. I, that's awesome that you had that access. But that is historical, and yeah. I thought it was interesting too that that I don't, I don't know how much of the 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 TV the the long form everybody gets to talk to Coach K. If you got to see any of that, and I'm sure you probably didn't because of what you were doing with Westwood One. But the gist of it was he really didn't want to talk about himself like he did like from the beginning i mean he kind of sort of answered questions but to, i guess to his credit he didn't try to get nostalgic and he didn't want any part of the mike shashevsky he said we'll have time for that later did what did you feel that same vibe from him um over at on the westwood one interview or even around the interview off the mic no i think he tried to deflect a little bit about you know this, you know this is a tough loss tonight he wanted to talk more about tonight in North Carolina, but we did ask him, you know, what will you miss most? What will you miss most about coaching? He, he goes, I don't know. I haven't done it yet, right? You hear a lot of these guys, I mean, Tom Brady's gone for two months. He's back already, right? You don't know what you miss until it's gone, and I think Coach K is going to feel the same way. But I got the feeling, and I didn't know I didn't know much about, you know, you hear about Coach K leaving. You know John Shire's an ex coach. Is John Shire coaching more of the team now? Is Coach K kind of just like that figurehead? Nothing of the sort. We were out at a closed practice beforehand a couple of days and it's coach K telling everything he was coaching like it was his first day on the job it was coach K coaching this team to the end and it'll be Shire's uh, you know coaching position next year but into the very last second when, when we've seen him here in New Orleans the whole week coach K has done you know he's the leader he's the guy who's got this program where it is and he finished it up last night but yes he tried to deflect it last night mm-hmm. but uh no it was really interesting um because there's only us and tv that get him in that back room so it's yeah only no back. i know man and then that's, he goes out that's... to the main podium you know then he does that which sure. is great but I it was a special moment yeah. it's crazy it was fun. 
Well, I think we're all screwed uh, tomorrow night because I think that, like, I think Shashevsky, there's going to be like a two hour ode to Shashevsky. Like, you, you thought you got, you thought you dodged this, eh? Here's a two hour documentary leading up to tip off. Go. Oh my God! I know we're doing about a seven or eight minute piece on Westwood One, but it's deserved. We had the chance to talk to a lot know. of the coaching tree. You know, I wish he would have won. I really do wish he would have gone out in style and won. But you know what? They had a good run. He's a very young team, uh, and I think you got. I would say Kansas has been the best team all year, in my opinion. Then you got North Carolina yep. with Hubert Davis and them. I, I think Kansas wins. I hope it's a good game for us. I think it'll be a good game. But again, you're in New Orleans. It's 75 degrees out, Mark. It's a fun time, yeah. and you enjoy oh, it. Yeah. And, uh, Drink water. Drink lots of water <laughs> while you're out there, Andy Garcia. And call and just and just let me know from my former drinking career. I could tell you at, like what you should be drinking at what time if, if you're looking for the good time drunk or the depression drunk. Yeah. So just yeah, keep it. You got my me, cell number. Me. Yeah, I will. I will call I will. you and. Uh, Yes. Um, yeah, it, it, hopefully I won't have to get to that point. <laughs> Andy, you're, you are the best, Andy Garcia. I appreciate that insight. That was wonderful. And uh, hopefully we will we will see you around here at some point in time. But why would you come here? You're in Orlando loving life, and now you're in New Orleans. So I will talk to you soon, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. Yep, that is uh, Andy Garcia. And we needn't keep Matt Spiegel waiting because we are going to Arizona next to bring in Matt Spiegel, who has been doing some play-by-play for the Cubs. I listened to a really big chunk of it yesterday, and it was pretty damn good. So I want to talk to Spiegel about play-by-play, about the Cubs, about the Sox, and the start, the season premiere of Hit and Run is next week. I'm Mark Grody at Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.